on today's episode of Vitality Radio. I'm bringing you back to 2020. Now, don't run away. Don't scream running into the night as you hear me say that we're going back to 2020. In reality, we're not exactly going back to 2020, but I do have a little bit of a story to tell, and then I'll explain what I mean by that. My sweet producer happens to also be my niece. Her name is Michaela, and she is amazing. She has done so much to help me grow this podcast and the audience for this podcast and make sure that it gets released on time each week and so on and so forth. And this week was going to be a normal week and we were going to have a normal show and everything was going to be normal. And then suddenly she decided that she needed to have her baby quite early. And uh, so that's where she is right now. Uh, she is fine. The baby is fine. Everything appears to be fine. It happened at, uh, well, about 12 hours before this show was supposed to launch, but there was a bunch of stuff that happened prior to that that precluded her from being able to, to uh, produce this episode. So I'm producing the episode, and I don't know what the heck I'm doing because from episode number one, I've always had somebody else producing my shows, uh, but I think we can figure it out. You can teach an old dog new tricks from time to time. So my thoughts and prayers are with Michaela. We'd love to have yours as well. And of course, her sweet little baby that just came to this world. And I'm going to muddle through this uh, podcast production thing and hope it sounds as good as she makes it sound. But to tell you why I said I'm going back to 2020, it's because what we're doing is I am running a show that I ran back as episode 62 on the Vitality Radio podcast. Now, if you've already heard that show, I certainly don't expect you to listen to it again. However, it's a show that I think got mixed in with a bunch of other uh, shows that were more well listened to, I guess. Maybe my uh, subject line wasn't as good as it could have been or something like that. But I listened to the whole show last night to make sure it was something I wanted to release again. And I do. I really want to release it again. I think this is one that needs to be heard. So if you'll bear with me and listen to this vintage episode for a few minutes, see if you've heard it. If you haven't heard it, stay tuned. I'm going to talk about urinary tract infections that's something I have mentioned many times on Vitality Radio. I get a lot of questions about it, but uh, I get questions all the time still of people asking me how to take care of these things naturally. I address that in the opening of the show. In the end of the show, I talk about cold water therapy. It is the middle, the middle of winter in Bountiful, Utah, where I'm at. Uh, we have uh, not a whole lot of snow on the ground because we just had a rainstorm. It warmed up just enough. But we've had a very white Christmas season, and it has. we've got more in the forecast this week. And, uh, heck, it's even uh, done some damage to my ceiling at uh, Vitality Nutrition where we have buckets in place. But uh, cold water therapy? Yeah, cold water therapy is legit. And I want to teach you a little bit more, more about that at the end of today's show. The middle of the show, though, is the part that I think might be the most pertinent 
because it's almost uh, it's almost spooky. What I said a couple of years ago and uh, how it applies to what's been transpiring over the last year and a half, especially with my dearly discarded podcast. So if you haven't checked out Dearly Discarded, please do so. It's on all the same podcast apps that this show is on. And uh, if you're curious at all about what I said a couple of years ago and how I think hauntingly familiar it is right now, um, I guess I hate to say I told you so because I really wish that what I said didn't apply, but it does. So I'd love for you to stay tuned, listen to this show and give me your feedback. Join us on the Facebook listeners page on on uh, <laughs> Facebook, of course, the uh, community that we have there. And uh, we'll uh, see if we can get a link into the show description if I know what I'm doing for that. All right, without further ado, I'm going to bring you episode 62 of the Vitality Radio podcast. I have had people over the last... I'm going to say two to three months, a lot of people coming into Vitality Nutrition, almost all women, which makes sense because about 85% of these infections affect women. That's urinary tract infections. And uh, they, the, the story is almost always the same or very similar. It's I've had several of these in the last few months or three or four or five a year, every year for the last several years or whatever it is, but they're in that chronic state. Urinary tract infections are considered chronic, depending on who you ask. If you're having three or more per year, I would say it's chronic if you're having one per year, but uh, three or more is considered chronic, which is like once a quarter. That's a lot of urinary tract infections. If you've never had one, and I have not, thank goodness, everything I hear about them says you don't ever want to have one in your life, let alone one every few months. So this chronic urinary tract infection is a big deal. And yet people seem to still be of the opinion, largely, that the first line of defense should be an antibiotic. And it just doesn't make sense to me. Now, I'm not your doctor. I don't prescribe. I can't diagnose. But if you look at the research, it's really simple. There are alternatives that are more effective than antibiotics that don't beat down your own immune system and make you more susceptible to the next urinary tract infection that work incredibly well and can also be used preventatively. And as we have seen over the years, decades really, at Vitality Nutrition, these methods work really, really well for people. I routinely hear from people saying, hey, I haven't had a urinary tract infection in years. I used to get them every few months. And that is news that needs to be out there. So I'm going to talk about this periodically so that people who haven't heard it can hear it again or can hear it for the first time. And if you have heard it and you haven't shared it with friends or family that have urinary tract issues, please do because it can save them a tremendous amount of strife. It can really help to improve their health and certainly prevent these pesky and painful urinary tract infections. The first thing I want to talk about is D-mannose. Now, D-mannose is a sugar. It is a sugar that does not impact your blood sugar, so it's safe for diabetics and hypoglycemics. But what it does do is it creates what's called anti-adherence in the urinary tract. Now, you have to understand that the urinary tract is a bacteria-free zone. 
It's not supposed to have any kind of bacteria in it, good, bad, or otherwise. And so if bacteria gets up in there, then an infection can occur. And when that occurs, there is pain and burning and and itching and all kinds of other unhappy things that go along with it. Antibiotics, of course, are typically used orally, which means they're hitting the entire body. It's a systemic thing. And we really only need to target the urinary tract. Why are we using antibiotics like they're going out of style still for infections that are easily handled other ways? I wish I had an answer for you. I talked last week about superbugs and what antibiotics are doing for superbugs. So I'm going to do my part and try and help you find alternatives. So D-mannose is my favorite alternative. And the reason for it is, well, initially was the research that I did on it is incredibly compelling. But then real world results, just talking to people who've used it and telling me, hey, this stuff absolutely works. So D-mannose is a sugar, as I said, therefore it tastes sweet. It's very good. It's very pleasant. It is typically used in a powder form as opposed to a capsule. You can get capsules, but it ends up being cost prohibitive a little bit and certainly uh, dosage prohibitive because you have to take 16 capsules a day. So most people choose to take a teaspoon. In the studies, the teaspoon a day, or no, sorry, the teaspoon dose with an active urinary tract was taken four times a day. And the trick to this is that you've got to let that mannose hang out in the urinary tract for a little bit. So what you do is you take it with like four to six ounces of water. Again, it tastes like sugar, so it's easy to use. You do that and then you wait for about 45 minutes. This is what was done in the studies. And you let that D-mannose work its magic down there by creating a slippery surface for the urinary tract, also known medically as anti-adherence basically keeping the little web of bacteria from sticking and flushing it out. Now, there's all kinds of wins associated with this method. First off, the D-mannose does virtually nothing. It's basically inert in your body. It doesn't really impact your blood sugar. It doesn't kill anything, including the urinary tract infection. It just helps it literally slide right out with your urine. And so in the studies, what they did is they did it four times for three days, And then they would do it three times a day for three days, and then two times a day for three days, and then just once a day for maintenance. Now, wait until I talk about the maintenance because it's exciting. But what we're doing basically is we're having a 45-minute period where the D-mannose is just in there making things slippery, and then you're drinking about 10 to 12 ounces of water and flushing it right out again. And no harm done. I mean, the worst case scenario really with D-mannose is it doesn't work. But no damage done, no bacteria killed, good, bad, or otherwise. It just makes things slippery, and hopefully they slip right out. Now, in studies, and this is the crazy thing, 90% we know of urinary tract infections are uh, E. coli. That's the bug that gets in there. And about 85% of this happens to women. So if E. coli is 90% of the time the bacteria that gets in there, what they did in the studies with D-mannose was test against E. coli infections specifically. And what they determined was that it was 100% successful. I'm going to throw that number out there because it's not a number you hear in medical trials very often. 100% successful against E. coli-based urinary tract infections doing what I just described. And 100% free of side effects. And even pleasant to use. I mean, the only downside is you have to take it four times a day for a few days. You have to have that little waiting period of 45 minutes. So it's not convenient, 
but you're only doing it for a few days at four times a day, and then a few days at three, a few days at two, and then you're just down to one a day. That is amazing, right? I mean, think about that. No more antibiotics for urinary tract infections. Is that possible? Well, it is possible, and it's likely, according to the research and according to what I've heard from so many people over the years who've actually used it in the real world. Really, really amazing stuff. So, and and is it expensive? No, not really. A big container of it that'll last you uh, well over a month doing it like what I'm recommending is like 35 bucks. So it's cheaper than a doctor's visit and more convenient and safer and everything else. Really amazing. Now, the maintenance thing, let's just say that you do not have a urinary tract infection, but you get them. Maybe you get them once a year, twice a year, three times a year, whatever. Enough that it's super annoying and enough that you need to do something to prevent. Well, one teaspoon of D-mannose done the exact way I just described was used by women who had had at least three urinary tract infections in the previous year. And they took one serving per day, one teaspoon per day. And they did that for a year. And in one year, they had 85% of these women who had had three urinary tract infections or more in the previous year had zero in the next year. 85% success at prevention. Now, I don't know how they did this in the study. They probably didn't. Uh, It wasn't mentioned in what I read. but my estimation is really pretty simple that had you used D-mannose with, as a preventative, with a really good probiotic like Just Thrive or Back on Track, something that would truly build up the bacteria that's been wiped out by the antibiotics that you've used for the previous infections, then I believe the 85% success rate would have gone up, way up, actually. So we're talking about two things, probiotics and D-mannose that are very, very effective, very good for you, have excellent preventative and curative benefits, and don't destroy your body like antibiotics do. Don't destroy your ecology like antibiotics do. And don't wipe out bugs to the point where these bugs mutate and become superbugs. And yet, it's not the first line of defense of doctors because it's not the standard of care, as it's called not the standard of care. Doctors have their hands tied as to what they can recommend uh, safely without their licenses, licenses being threatened. And that means they've got to use drugs. So what do they have for urinary tract infections? Antibiotics. Well, it's time that we shift that paradigm. We stop looking at antibiotics as the first option and we start looking at alternatives. And in the case of urinary tract infections, there are Several that work really well, my favorites being D-mannose and a good probiotic for an extended period of time to build up the system so that you don't even have to use the D-mannose preventatively long term. Okay, so that's the first section of the show there. I'm going to cut to just a really quick break. I'm going to catch my breath. I'm going to grab a drink, and then I'm going to come back after just a minute, and we are going to talk about, well, I'm titling it Trust Us. Trust us. That's going to be the title of the rant today, and I'm going to explain who's asking to be trusted and why you absolutely should not do it. That's what we're going to talk about when we come back. My name is Jared St. Clair, and this is Vitality Radio.
All righty, welcome back to Vitality Radio and the Vitality Radio podcast. My name is Jared St. Clair. It's good to be with you again on another episode of Vitality Radio. As I mentioned in the beginning, I've got a ton to talk about here. I'm going to touch on just a headline at the beginning of my rant because I just think it sounds ridiculous. I'm going to hit one more headline that I think is hilarious and sad, and then I'm going to really dive deep into the topic of trust. Who should we place our trust in when it comes to our health and wellness and the prevention of disease? Who is that? Are they out there? And if they say, trust us, should we? That's what we're going to talk about during the rant. But before that, Vitality Radio, always brought to you by Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful, my parents' store that they opened when I was five, just turned 43 years old. If you're good with math, you know how old I am now. But regardless, we have had an amazing run for a mom-and-pop health food store opened way before health food stores were cool. And man, I'll tell you, I have you and people like you to thank for that. This show has helped uh, expand our audience of people and awareness of vitality, nutrition. And I'm so grateful for those of you who listen, who have become uh, patrons of our store. I appreciate it very, very much. If you have questions about anything you hear on Vitality Radio, you call us 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. 6662. And now it is time for the vital rant. Okay, 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 okay. Here we go. I told you I was going to mention a couple of headlines. I think it's important. The first headline is from, these are all from WebMD. I often have to search many sites to find what I'm looking for, but these four were all on WebMD, and I'm going to run them by you real quick. Could the MMR vaccine help prevent COVID-19? A new trial may tell. That's the headline. Now, does that make any sense to you? I'm not going to read it. I may rant about it maybe next week, or I may even do a bonus. I'm very tempted to do a bonus episode. If you want one, let me know. And maybe I'll record that this weekend and throw it up as just a podcast. But it would have to do with this. Could the MMR vaccine help prevent COVID-19? First off, and I'll get to this a little bit more in the body of the rant, but I'm don't I I'm at a loss for words. If if you know me, you know that that doesn't happen very often. I don't even know what to say about this headline. It makes no sense. The government and their buddies at pharma, or should I say pharma and their buddies at government, are fighting very, very hard to speedily process these new vaccines for COVID. And they know through prior experience and through the new experience of doing these vaccines that there is a high risk associated with this type of vaccines compared to other vaccines, at least based on what even the vaccine experts are saying. And so now they're coming up with an alternative which is a vaccine that already exists for a novel virus that supposedly never existed before. It makes absolutely no sense to me, but they're going to test it on 30,000 people, mostly in Africa, of course. And guess who's behind it? Oh, yes, our friend, Mr. Bill Gates. Yeah. So anyway, that's headline one. Headline two 
Too little vitamin D might raise odds of coronavirus infection. Really? Oh my gosh. Here we are in September. I believe this article came out September 7th. And yeah, I think it was March that I was talking about the critical nature of getting enough sunshine when they were all talking about lockdowns in April and saying, hey, vitamin D is really, really good for for preventing viruses. And now, of course, we have the quote unquote experts saying, oh, you know what we found out? People that had low vitamin D levels are more susceptible to COVID-19. Oh, really? Oh, my gosh. If only somebody had mentioned that before. Now, I'm not patting myself on the back. There were thousands of people screaming vitamin D when this whole thing started hitting. I do have a question, and it wasn't answered in the article, but have you noticed that they've talked about African-American men being more susceptible to COVID-19? Well, guess what else African-American men are more susceptible to? That is vitamin D deficiency because the pigment of the skin impacts how much vitamin D can be absorbed uh, in the, and, and manufactured in the skin. I should say UV rays can be absorbed and vitamin D manufactured in the skin. Maybe there's some correlation there. So we have to recognize once again that if we're counting on the media the government or drug companies to prevent things, maybe we should stop because there were very good, intelligent people speaking the truth about vitamin D way before this and speaking it every single flu season saying vitamin D has more evidence than the flu shot does that it prevents the flu. And yet all they talk about, all they talk about droning on and on and on is vaccination being the only preventative measure we have for anything because, well, drugs, right? Nature could never possibly provide anything of value when it comes to preventative medicine. Yeah, right. All right. And then uh, the the third, uh, I'll I'll read it. I'm not going to comment on it. Why a vaccine won't be a quick fix for COVID-19. I may hit that during the rant. That's an interesting article. And then this one, This is my favorite, and this will gain the most of my attention today during the rant, and that is drug companies will pledge COVID-19 vaccine safety. Now, I, (laughs) I I really liked that. Drug companies will pledge COVID-19 vaccine safety. This was on September 8th, just a couple days ago. The pharmaceutical companies racing to make a coronavirus vaccine plan to issue a joint statement at the beginning of the week that they won't release COVID-19 vaccines that don't follow safety and efficacy standards, according to the Wall Street Journal. That's Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, GlaxoSmithKline, and Sanofi. Are, they're uh, finalizing the statement together. I can imagine what that group of attorneys is uh, coming up with. And they, uh, the statement will say the companies also won't seek government approval until the vaccines are proven to be safe and effective. Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca are the companies with vaccine candidates in late-stage clinical trials now. 
This is an unusual partnership, the article says, among vaccine rivals, uh, but it's meant to reassure the public that the companies won't seek premature approval or bend to pressure from the Trump administration to approve a vaccine before Election Day. And guess what else? Somebody else is pledging, and this is important, senior regulators at the FDA have been discussing a similar joint statement that would pledge their focus to science and safety regulations according to the New York Times. Okay, so why did this catch my eye? Maybe you already understand it well enough. I hope that you do, but let's talk about it. Tell me if you're going to trust a pledge from companies that do this kind of thing. Did you know that over 400,000 people now have died from the opioid uh, crisis, opioid overdoses since 1999? So in the last 20 years, 400,000 people The Sackler family, you may have heard of them, maybe, I don't know. They're the people who brought you OxyContin, who promised it wasn't addictive, even though they knew damn well, according to their own studies, that it was very addictive. Those people, after thousands of lawsuits and 48 state attorneys general coming after them, they're claiming bankruptcy, and they will sell Purdue Pharma for over $5 billion when they get out, they are trying to offer a $10 billion to settle the lawsuits. Now, that sounds like a lot of money, $10 billion to the people. Well, think about 400,000 people dead. Now, not all from OxyContin. There are plenty of others, including Johnson & Johnson, who've been hammered with their opioid lies uh, that they've told. But think of the money that is cost in rehabilitation, premature death, the health care costs of uh, people who've overdosed and lost time at work and so on and so on and so on and so on. It certainly exceeds $10 billion. And maybe people think, well, I mean, that's what the Sacklers can do. The Sackler family who owns Purdue Pharma, they can give $10 billion because they're having to claim bankruptcy and they're only selling their company for $5 billion. But guess what? Before they've made the $5 billion selling their company, it's been made known during the investigation that they've already shifted almost $11 billion offshore and to many other places. Get it out of the company. Interesting. On top of that, they have made myriad investments with this drug money and are worth far more than the settlement will amount to. Now, you tell me, shouldn't they be tried for murder as opposed to just paying a fee for killing their part of 400,000 people? Shouldn't that be enough to press murder charges? Let's move on to Johnson & Johnson. They've got four uh, big ones going on right now, and this doesn't include their uh, issue with opiates, but talcum powder, uh, remember Johnson's baby powder? Well, uh, the cost to settle the lawsuits around that causing cervical cancer, $4 billion. That number is estimated based on 14,000 lawsuits that have been filed and settling those lawsuits at $280,000 per case. So yes, we knew that our talc uh, was causing cancer, but to make it better for you who have cancer now, or maybe your family after you've died of cancer, here's $280,000. Sounds great. How about the hip plant? This is a hip implant. Uh, Total cost to settle that's going to be a billion dollars. That's $180,000 per case. Artificial hip, a different one, same story, but uh, 4,500 lawsuits. Uh, It's going to cost them $800 million. 
at 180,000 per case. And then their blood thinner, Xeralto, the miracle drug that they were marketing uh, not too long ago. Yeah, them and Bayer together have agreed to pay $775 billion to settle all of those lawsuits. And those people will get $31,000 per case. Now, Johnson & Johnson is capable of settling all these lawsuits because those lawsuits combined for $6.2 billion. It sounds like a lot of money, right? But remember that of the Fortune 500, there are 10 drug companies that combined make more than all the other 490 companies combined. So there's plenty of money in drugs. It's why people get into drugs, both illicit and prescribed, because there is money in it for sure. So while the total possible cost for settlement is $6.2 billion, it's okay because Johnson & Johnson has $14.4 billion in cash available. And they've settled lawsuits before. And it's a known cost of doing business for these drug companies. They know they're going to get sued. They know they're going to kill people. They know that they're going to lie and massage the research before their drugs are approved. And they just make sure there's extra money around in case the lawsuits come because they know they will. Now, the last one I want to talk about is really, really crazy. I've talked about this before, but it's been brushed under the rug so bad. I'm going to go into a little bit of detail. There was an excellent article uh, that was written about this in a uh, uh, online uh, publication called The Week. Now, some of this I'm going to read word for word. A lot of it I'll elaborate on, but let's get into it. Are American lives cheaper than those of the Chinese? It's a question raised by Ron Unz. He's a publisher uh, at the American Conservative who has produced a compelling comparison between the way the Chinese dealt with one of their drug scandals, melamine in baby formula, and how the U.S. handled the Vioxx aspirin substitute disaster. The Chinese scandal surfaced in 2008. Crooked dairymen diluted their milk products, then added a plastic chemical compound called melamine, to raise the apparent protein content back to normal levels. Nearly 300,000 babies across China suffered urinary problems with many hundreds requiring lengthy hospitalization for kidney stones, and six of those babies died. What happened in China to these crooked dairymen? Well, long prison sentences were handed down, and a couple of the guiltiest culprits were tried and executed for their role. Just four years earlier, though, in 2004, Merck, one of America's largest pharmaceutical companies, issued a sudden recall of the drug Vioxx. Vioxx, its anti-pain medication widely used to treat arthritis-related ailments. The recall came just days after Merck discovered that a top medical journal was about to publish a study by an FDA investigator indicating that the drug in question greatly increased the risk of fatal heart attacks and strokes and had probably been responsible for at least 55,000 American deaths during the five years it had been on the market. 11,000 people per year was the estimate of this FDA investigator. It soon turned out that Merck had known of potential lethal side effects even before launching Vioxx in 1999, in fact, they had hidden many documents from their trials from the FDA showing that they knew that heart disease risk was potentially doubled. Vioxx 
went on to generate over $2.5 billion annually over the five years it was on the market. So about $12.5 billion-ish. 25 million Americans were eventually prescribed Vioxx. There was a fair amount of news coverage after this recall happened, but pretty slim considering the alleged 55,000 death toll. But keep in mind that media, their number one, their number one advertiser is pharma, and it's not very close. So they don't want to do too much to uh, upset their number one, right? So they put these stories out, but it was relatively small. Maybe some of you have never even heard of this. A class action lawsuit dragged its way through the courts for years, eventually being settled for $4.85 billion in 2007. Keep in mind that they did $12.5 billion in sales and they settled for $4.85. So, you know, about a third of it, right? When the scandal first broke, Merck's stock price collapsed, as it should have. And many believe that the company could not possibly survive, especially after evidence of a deliberate corporate conspiracy. But instead, Merck's stock price eventually reached new heights in 2008. And today, it is just 15% below where it stood before the disaster. The year after the scandal unfolded, Merck's longtime CEO resigned and was replaced by one of his top lieutenants. But when he resigned, he retained $50 million in financial compensation he had received over the previous five years. Neither he nor any other Merck executives were charged with corporate malfeasance. Now, remember in China, they put a bunch of these guys in prison and they executed some when six babies died and 300,000 were hurt. Now, with babies, at least in America, that tugs at our heartstrings a little bit more, for sure. And I understand why why that happened in China. I think it's interesting that we're talking about communist China uh, versus America, but whatever. They actually sought justice on these people that did this, the dairymen who put melamine in their milk. But in America, when the drug executives hide intentionally documents that show that their drug will kill people from heart disease, and it kills an alleged 55,000, yes, they were mostly over 65 years old, not babies, but still, isn't that what we're locking everything down for with COVID as the over 65 set? And yet when 55,000 of them are dead, they settle out of court for billion. The company's still doing fine. They actually made money on Vioxx still. And the CEO took home $50 million and is living in his yacht somewhere offshore. And, you know, nothing really happened. It's just a cost of doing business. But guess what? After all this happened, senior FDA officials apologized for their lack of effective oversight, and promised to do better in the future. The Vioxx scandal began to sink into the vast marsh of semi-forgotten international pharmaceutical scandals. So now we have Merck, Johnson & Johnson, and Purdue Pharma. Just three stories I picked, some of my favorites because they're disgusting and horrifying, and I think that they need to be told. But there are so many more stories like this. Remember FinFin? 
I know someone personally whose life was forever ruined, really, because of FinFin. So it's not just these. These just happen to be the ones that I like to share because I think they um, are the most dramatic, maybe, although FinFin was nasty. So this is what's really interesting, though. Mr. Unz, who was interviewed for this article, he said that uh, he found the largest rise in American mortality rates occurred in 1999. That's the year Vioxx came out. The largest rise in American mortality rates after 10 years of just about stable numbers. That's the year Vioxx was introduced. While the largest drop occurred in 2004, the year it was withdrawn. Vioxx was almost entirely marketed to the elderly. The FDA studies had proven that Vioxx led to deaths from cardiovascular disease, such as heart attacks and strokes. And these were exactly the factors that drove the national mortality rates. Remember, the highest rise in mortality rates in 1999, the year it was introduced, and the biggest decline, 2004, when it was taken off the market. The impacts of these shifts, Unz points out, was not small. After a decade of remaining roughly constant, the overall American death rate began to substantially decline in 2004, soon falling by approximately 5% despite the continued aging of the population. This drop corresponds to roughly 100,000 fewer deaths per year. The age-adjusted decline in death rates was considerably greater. Patterns of cause and effect cannot easily be proven, Unz continues, but if we hypothesize a direct connection between the recall of a class of very popular drugs proven to cause fatal heart attacks and other deadly illnesses, with an immediate drop in the national rate of fatal heart attacks and other deadly illnesses, then the statistical implications are quite serious. He says that perhaps 500,000 or more premature American deaths may have resulted from Vioxx, a figure substantially larger than the 3,468 deaths of named individuals that Merck actually acknowledged when they paid out their $4.6 billion. Perhaps 500,000. These numbers are staggering. And now I remind you the article that I started with It said that pharmaceutical companies are pledging, are pledging vaccine safety for COVID-19. They won't ask the FDA to approve it until they've proven it's safe and effective. And the FDA is going to pledge that they'll make sure it's safe and effective. But isn't it what Vioxx, what Johnson's baby powder, what the Sacklers said about their opiates. Isn't it all the same? I mean, isn't that what that is? The drug company does the studies. They give it to the FDA. They both say, this is safe. Let's put it on the market. And then thousands of people die. So I ask, who do you trust? Do you trust the FDA? They're the ones that let all this stuff happen. Do you trust the drug companies, the ones that hide the documentation when they know that their stuff kills? Because they know that they can make billions of dollars anyway. And remember this. It's really, really critical. The difference between a vaccine and another pharmaceutical is vast when it comes to this pledge. 
because the pledge is literally all we have. If you or one of your family members gets hurt by the COVID-19 vaccine, you can't sue Moderna. You can't sue Johnson & Johnson. You can't sue Sanofi. You can't sue any of them. Because vaccines are free from liability for the drug company. The only way you can get compensated is if you can prove it to the vaccine court of this country. Did you know there was a vaccine court? There is. It's called VAERS. And if you can prove that you got hurt by the COVID-19 vaccine, you can sue the American government, otherwise known as your fellow taxpayers, for compensation. That system has paid over $4 billion to vaccine injuries so far. My point is this. We need more than a pledge from crooked people at the top of these mega pharmaceutical corporations. We need more than a pledge from the FDA or the World Health Organization or the Centers for Disease Control that this COVID-19 vaccine is safe because we know from a very, very clear and vivid history that these are not people that can be trusted. They have not earned your trust and you should not give it to them. Especially when the CDC itself says that only 0.26% of the people infected with COVID-19 in America will actually die. That's your rant. I'll be back in just a minute, and we're going to talk about the cold, the bitter cold, cold water therapy. What is it? Why is it? And why you should seriously consider doing it. That's what's coming next. I'm Jared St. Clair. This is Vitality Radio. Okay, welcome back to Vitality Radio and the Vitality Radio Podcast. I'm Jared St. Clair. I'm your host each and every week. It's good to be with you again. If you're listening on radio, thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in, even if it's just for a few minutes between shopping visits on your Saturday morning. If you want to hear more, find the podcast. It's Vitality Radio Podcast with Jared St. Clair, and it's on all your major podcast apps, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, CastBox, you name it. It's out there all over the place. You almost can't miss it unless you don't look. But if you look, you'll find it, and then you can listen to me anytime you want doing what I do here on Vitality Radio. Vitality Radio, always brought to you by Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful, 107 South, 500 West. We just celebrated our 43rd birthday, 43 years in business as an independent mom and pop with one location in Bountiful, Utah. It's pretty cool, and we're pretty proud of it. Thank you so much for your support in that. Vitality Nutrition can be reached at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Let's talk about cold water therapy. What the heck is it? Well, let's just jump right into it. It's taking a cold shower, or it's literally jumping right into it like I did a few weeks ago in the Provo River and uh, sat 
all the way up to my neck in the cold water of the Provo River for about, uh, I'm trying to remember how long I was up in there, about 15 minutes or something like that, maybe have been, maybe have been 20. And then uh, Wade Lake up by Island Park. I did that one for about 20 or 30 minutes as well. My recollection of these times is pathetic, but you know, it's always it it cold. But regardless, you can also do it in your very own shower and it sounds like no fun. And maybe you don't know what it's for. A lot of people don't know it's even a thing, but there are some real health benefits and I want to dive right into them. Cold showers have a wide range of benefits according to Healthline. It keeps the skin more radiant. It opens up the capillaries. It helps to detoxify your organs. It keeps the composition of your blood more healthy. It activates the glandular system, strengthens the entire nervous system, and as they say, every cold shower is like a victory unto itself. <laughs> okay? So it's really interesting stuff. Now, I'll go into, um, well, I'm, I'm going to give you a couple of different ways that they say you can do it. And I don't know if there's a wrong way, but I found one written by some Kundalini yoga folks. Kundalini yoga, if you're not familiar with it, is very cool. I'm actually exploring that myself right now to decide if that's something I should be doing. But I really like their article on this, and they tell you a very specific way how to take a cold shower. Now, I will tell you, I've been doing this for about, I'm going to say it's been two months, roughly, maybe, that I've been doing the cold showers. I think that's pretty close. And I don't do it every single time I'm in the shower. And what I do is I actually take a warm shower first, like I typically do, wash everything up and all that kind of stuff. And then I flip it all the way over to cold. And I will tell you, it is a rush. And you may have to start a little slow. The first few times I flipped it maybe halfway to cold. Didn't do it all the way. But I do it all the way every time now. And I spend about three or four minutes in the cold water. Now, what they say on this Kundalini yoga article that I really enjoyed, they say, don't step under the cold water with your whole body directly. Take it slow, even though your mind would like you to rush through it. Start with the extremities of the body, legs and feet, rub the feet, use your feet to massage your feet, calves, shins, and knees, massage the right foot with the left foot, and then the left foot with the right foot, etc. Do not aim the cold water stream on the thighs, as this can have too strong an effect on the calcium-magnesium balance of the body. And that's something I was not aware of. So I haven't really specifically aimed it directly at my thighs, I guess, too much, but I'm going to pay attention to that because that's kind of interesting. Then bring your hands, your arms, and your shoulders under the cold water and rub them. From there, move the cold water stream to your navel, abdomen, chest, and your back. And at last, your face, eyes, nose, mouth, ears, cheeks, but not the forehead or your hair. Of course, I don't have that hair issue, and I've been doing it just all over my head, and uh, they're saying maybe that's not so good. It says, in the morning, this can be too shocking for your system and can potentially make you more sleepy instead of waking you up. Now, I'll tell you from personal experience, I find that it wakes me up, even when I put my whole head in. I think it's going to be an individual thing that you have to try, and I know you're probably sitting there listening to me. If you're anybody, uh, if you're anything like some of the people I've already talked to about this, uh, you are like, what is he? This guy's gone off the rails. What's he talking about? Cold showers. We live in America in modern times. We don't need cold showers. We have hot water heaters. Yeah, I get it. And I know it's not that fun, but it's incredibly invigorating. It really is. And I really enjoy it. I will be 
honest and say I didn't enjoy it very much the first few times. I have enjoyed the plunges in the lake and the river, though. But the shower, it took a little bit of getting used to with the shower. But still, they continue on the article. They say one or two minutes of actively massaging and showering, you can come out of the shower. You can also start with 30 seconds or stay under it for five to 10 minutes. That's up to you. Rub yourself dry with a towel and wear nice warm clothes after the shower. Then do your kundalini yoga, they say, and meditation practice and have your breakfast. You're off to a really great start to your day. Okay, so let's talk about some of the other things that this uh, cold showering can actually do for you. It has an anabolic effect and is highly anti-inflammatory. And because of a release of endorphins, it is even looked at for some for treating mild depression and anxiety. Many people love its mood-boosting effects. All those things are great, but I think the real power lies in forcing yourself to do something you do not want to do, which improves mental fortitude. This mental fortitude will permeate through every aspect of your life. Now, i that's a quote. That's not me saying it, but I absolutely 100% agree with that statement. I love it because it is absolutely true. Absolutely true. The cold shower thing is not something that probably you have even thought about doing up until now. And now you're thinking about it and you're probably thinking, this guy's nuts. I'm not going to do this. But I encourage you to just give it a try. It is so, so cool. Max Lowry, by the way, is who I'm quoting here. I want to make sure I give him a credit from Human Window. But uh, yeah, I totally agree with him. Forcing yourself to do something you do not want to do and is not comfortable getting out of your comfort zone is a good thing in most cases. So go, Max. I completely concur. Now, here are some of the other benefits. It improves your circulation. Cardiovascular circulation happens to be one of the most critical components of our overall health. Under conditions of poor cardiovascular circulation, blood flow is compromised and the heart can become stressed. This can ultimately lead to fatigue, headaches, high blood pressure, muscle cramping, or even heart attack and stroke. Cold water can help relax all of that, believe it or not. It reduces muscle inflammation. And remember that 85% of disease in this country is inflammatory. So getting a nice anti-inflammatory effect in the shower each morning is a real plus. If you've had those high-intensity workouts, you've felt sore for days after, a cold shower is huge. In the NFL, the NBA, uh, professional hockey, baseball, ice baths are very common post-game, and nobody, I don't think, would initially look forward to that. But when they do it, they notice that it improves their recovery dramatically. It improves their performance. It is a big deal. You may not be a professional athlete. I certainly am not. But we can all use a boost in performance, a boost in energy, and a decrease in inflammation. It can also facilitate weight loss. When practiced routinely, cold water immersion has been shown to boost metabolism, increasing whole body metabolic rate by about 16%. That is a big deal. Lymphatic cleansing. We don't talk about this enough, but the lymphatic system is a network of vessels that run through the body, helping take away waste bacteria, and microbes from your cells. If you don't exercise your lymphatic system, it can become slow or inefficient. The fluid stagnates and the toxins build up, manifesting in colds, joint pain, infection, and even disease. Cold water therapy triggers your lymph vessels to contract, 
forcing your lymphatic system to pump lymph fluids throughout your body, flushing the waste out of the area. Uh, Let's see. It can also increase mental toughness, as we talked about at the beginning. It also optimizes your temperature regulating system. This is a big deal, and it's interesting. My dearest friend is cold all the time. She struggles with it on a regular basis. It's very difficult for her. And she is terrified of this concept, as I've already presented it to her. But there is excellent evidence showing that if you take cold showers, it can actually make you warmer. If you are someone who always feels cold, cold showers can be a great way of resetting your body's temperature control. In the modern Western world, many of us have lost the ability to keep ourselves warm. We are kept at a constant temperate temperature by central heating or warm clothing. Over time, your body can become dependent on external sources of heat rather than relying on its own heat producing mechanisms, uh, sorry, relying on its own heat producing mechanisms. Cold showers can reset your body to heat itself up. One of the many positive benefits of taking regular cold showers is feeling warm all the time. Isn't that crazy? So I already talked about where to start, how to do it. There are a variety of different ways to do it, but the biggest thing is just do it. Cold showers, I am telling you, are awesome. I thoroughly enjoy it, and I didn't at first. I would just about scream like a banshee when that cold water hit me at first. But then you get there, you try to relax, you deep breathe, you let out your stress and let the coldness cool and calm you down. It is phenomenal. I absolutely love a good cold shower. In fact, as soon as I'm done recording this, That is what I will do, and I encourage you to do so as well. All righty, so that was episode 62 from the Vitality Radio podcast. I hope it was helpful for you. If you hadn't heard it before, if you had heard it before, it was over two years ago, so maybe uh, listening again wasn't so bad. Thank you so much. Call us at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662, or check us out online, vitalitynutrition.com. Thank you so much for listening to me. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio.